0: I want to recognize one of our sponsors. Have you ever felt like a lone wolf in life, unable to engage in chats around the barbecue since you're doing things that aren't the norm? Enter GoBundance, a place where driven entrepreneurs, CEOs, or investors who are beginning to experience an interesting phenomenon with more success in life, the feeling of a gap forming between ourselves and many of the people around us. One day, we wake up and find ourselves surrounded by people who may no longer see the world the same way we do. As the trend continues, we become more isolated and even find ourselves holding back from talking about things we are most excited about with friends, family, or coworkers. workers Coabundance was created for those who choose to live bigger and more fulfilled lives of impact. This tribe is for men and women who want to experience world-class adventure, bucket list trips, high-minded conversations, authentic relationships, and an environment to learn and grow with like-minded people. GoBundance is a tribe where you are able to share your successes, struggles, ambitions, and failures without being judged. It's a framework to strengthen your journey in becoming a better man, husband, father, Friend and entrepreneur. It is the place men come together to live epic lives and to grab life big. If you want to learn more, go to goabundance.com and hit the apply button to join the tribe and tell them the Cashflow Ninja sent you. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do You desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Cashflow Ninja and Spinning your most valuable resource, your time, once again with me on the show. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at Cashflow Ninja. 850 episodes, tools, resources, programs, books. It's all at CashflowNinja.com. And if you want to stay on top of everything that we're involved in and everything going on at Cashflow Ninja, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com forward slash subscribe. I have a great guest for you. I'm joined by Lisa Zhang uh, Great to see you. Good to
1: see you as well, MC.
0: For folks that don't know about you, you're an absolute rock star entrepreneur and real estate investor. But for those that don't know you or your background, can you please share a little bit about your journey and background?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm a apartment syndicator. It's just a fancy word to say that we pull people's money together, investors' money together, and invest in value add apartments. Uh, that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Um, I used to be previously a IT computer engineer, product manager at the Fortune 500 um, company for over 10 years uh, before I switched over to doing this full-time. Um, meanwhile, building kind of like side gig of real estate investing portfolio, you know, one thing lead to the other. This is where I am right now. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh When did you, when did you, how did you take, make that transition and take your first step to becoming a real estate investor?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it when we first started, it was 2009, you know, growing up uh, in the, you know, I'm Asian. So, you have to be engineer, doctor, a lawyer. So growing up, uh, you know, my dad was an engineer and then he, out of all the people, seems to have the best lifestyle. You know, I grew up in China and then he's the only one who lives in Canada and has a house. Um, so it's always been on my mind the path to be an engineer a computer engineer, not a real engineer, Uh, but, you know, um, I ended up working in the IT world. So when 2007 hits, 2008 hits, people know, uh, probably remember last real estate crush, um, you know, in 2009, just thought it was a good time to invest. Um, Didn't really take any education, this and that, because everything was on sale. So, you know, the thought was buying anything would make money. Um, So... It was a good time to enter estate, So, we bought a condo first um, in a really good location. And then, um, you know, from there, we uh, started with single family investing. Um, and then, one thing leads to the other. We then did fourplexes, um, you know, learned more about cash flow and then start doing fourplexes, uh, which are four units in a one single home. Uh, they're still on residential loans for multifamily. And then from there, grow to smaller multifamily, and then once we went and invested outside the state, you know, we started doing syndication, uh, joined mentorship group, learned a lot, um, and also get out there and do the deals. Um, so now, fast forward, we have about three thousand units under man, like under our asset management that we're operator on, and then we also are involved in about a thousand unit in Dallas as well as. Co-sponsor uh, capacity. Yeah,
0: it was interesting times when you started, right? Yeah. Compare and contrast those times for us. What do you, are, are there similarities that you've seen? Obviously, you're a completely different investor now. You just mm-hmm. uh, uh, started in 2009, but what are some of the things if you were to look back of uh, things that you know that that you that you see in both during both times now and then?
1: Yeah. So I definitely think there was some high. You know, before 2009, just to qualify it, I have no idea about real estate investing. Um, and then uh, literally, like what 2008 crash? I don't even own my primary home. You know, in 2009, we bought our first investment as well as our primary home. Um, so I think... In the largest stroke, definitely buying the right market cycle is very important. Um, Things are a little bit different when I look hindsight, looking back, because we do a lot of historical data comparisons, you know, with uh, macroeconomics, you can't be a syndicator without looking at macroeconomics, right? Um, So we kind of looked at it. um, I think there's similarities, there are also differences. Um, certainly the market gets really hot, especially the markets that where we are in Phoenix, it's really hot with multifamily bidding. Um, but it is driven by some of the fundamentals, I would say. But when you're seeing price point going up, you know, doubles in a year, like that's kind of crazy right so your price point are going up 30 percent, which actually could make you double in equity gain. Uh, your price points are kind of looking kind of crazy um, so there's definitely that little bit of a hype you know obviously in 2009 we were only looking at single family very different market than in in right now but in general you know a couple of things i would tease out to say In general, when you look at real estate then and real estate, let's say five years, 10 years cycle, like before, in general, if you take a buy and hold approach, you're in a pretty good position. Because in general, dollar grows. Like in general, your asset grows in terms of the value of the dollar compared to about dollar. Um, so because also inflation is in, et etc. So hard asset does rise in, in general cycles. So even before, you know, 2009, I think we we got a pretty good bargain on the stuff that we bought, you know, the markets continue correct a little bit. I would say 2010 is the lowest point. But did you make money when you bought in 2009? You don't have to buy on the bottom. It's low enough. It's like anything kind of makes money. But in the, in the, in that cycle, really having cash to buy stuff is really important. So we may be looking at coming to that particular market. You kind of seeing the drops already happening. So it's just right now, are you going to continue buy deals, whether single family or multifamily? I think for us, we're still in the buying camp, but we changed our analysis for underwritings and et cetera, making sure debt can service it. And the debt that you take on has to be more conservative. Fixed rate debt is often better than floating rate debt. Um, But there's many different mechanisms to mitigate floating rate debt as well. So it's a thought process you have to go through and think about that. Obviously, in 2008, when we're doing stuff, it's a residential, it's all fixed rate debt. So you're not dealing with the floating rate. Um, So, you know, with single family, we see a bigger drop in value potentially. Versus multifamily, but that's not absolute. Nothing is really absolute. It really depends on the market, the fundamental economies. You know, with multifamily, it's like running a business. So there are economies, the cash flow income supports it. The weird thing right now is that the rents are still going up in astronomic rates. You know, in Phoenix is twenty one percent, still going up, and that we're not seeing any. More vacancies come in. The market, whole entire market is looking at a four percent vacancy. There's not a giant number of inventory that's come in taking that. So when you're thinking about people needs to somewhere to live, right? And then more people are pricing out of the house, then you get more renters. So overall, rental market I think is still pretty good as long as you can get the good debt. The debt is a big piece off of that. Um, Where single family homes, we're already kind of seeing some of that symptom of free falling started like one month ago even as reason as one month ago as rate kind of start increases is uh you know the normal consumer has a much lower tolerance of that rate fluctuation so i can kind of already see pricings of housings are dropping even in seattle where I live right now, which is a hot market. Um, And there are these McMansions, you know, going on sale. They just now kind of sit there for like a couple months because they said, well, that didn't work. So couldn't buy these anymore. Um, I, I still think if you invest in single family home, you may want to wait a little bit. There may be a down cycle that's coming or we're not at the bottom yet. You just want to let it kind of play out to see how it looks. But if there's a deal and it fits your underwriting, whether a single family home or multifamily. This is also a great opportunity for you to be able to start negotiating with the you know, seller because it's been a seller market leading up to this point. And then when you're thinking back to 2007, it's also a seller market, people competing, you know, waiving everything. But now it's kind of like, OK, now like. Got to be a little tighter, restrictive. But if there's a good deal, you got to pull the trigger as well, right? Because you never know. Just like the crypto markets and et cetera, People are like, what's the low point? It's like, well, I think approximately this is the low point, and then you should get in. But you never know what's the lowest point, and it's not a goal to buy at the lowest point. If it's low enough, uh, certain things make sense for your business plan. You should just buy it.
0: I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, one of the best cash flow niches. Might surprise you. It's the cash flow machine called Resort Hospitality. Our friends and partners, Melanie and Josh McCallan from Accountable Equity, are so prolific at creating cash flow for their investors that I had to include them twice in my book, The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches. Something that really impresses me about this dynamic group is that more than just creating cash flow, with these historic trophy resort properties, they are also creating a powerful investor community with an accountable equity. Investors not only get to enjoy cash flow from beautiful resorts, but can enjoy the resorts and attend Learn and Grow Investor Summits, where like-minded accredited investors gather to learn from keynote speakers, as well as get updates on their projects and meet the growing team that makes all of this possible. You can learn more how the asset class of resort hospitality is a great way to diversify your multifamily investments by downloading the ebook, The 10 Steps to Build Wealth with Resort Hospitality Assets at AccountableEquity.com. You make a lot of great points here. Staying on the single family side a little bit too, because we're seeing that across the country, right? Certain price ranges, houses are starting to sit a little bit longer. I've had some conversations with realtors, and it's, it hasn't been like this, obviously, for a long time. People are fighting right. over each other in certain, especially the hot markets, the sunbelt right. markets, uh, to, and paying way over asking price, waiving contingencies, inspections, all that kind of stuff. Mm. That party seems to have slowed down significantly, right? Right. And now with the interest rates uh, going up this quickly is basically now costing a lot of folks double uh, just for, with a mortgage payment that would have, it would have cost them. Uh, right. I don't know, two months ago, almost I've lost track of time. It's been pretty quickly this uh, yeah. change around.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think in multifamily state, definitely in the last one month, a lot of stuff has happened. market definitely shifted um, in some ways. Um, so in single family zone, you know, I, I don't, I don't do single family anymore, um, and uh, but I think there is some benefits of single family homes. For example, um, if you sign up for a fixed rate loan, you know continue to hold on to it, not to worry about it, because that's cash flow. It's almost like is your interest rate lower than the inflation rate? If you believe so, it, you know it may increase, and might still be good idea to get the fixed rate debt because that's arbitrage against the increasing inflation. Um, the other day I was just kind of thinking about this concept. It started down on me. It possibly by investing hard asset doesn't really mean that preserves value. It doesn't really mean that you're making money. It's maybe simply what you're doing comparing with inflation and are you beating the dollar inflation? Any type of investment that you look at it, um, you know, it's, it's a game of beating inflation. Um, it, this is a little extreme view on this. Like, yeah, you're going to make some money out of it, but is the rate more than the inflation? And now we're entering a time when we're investing in things, anything uh, single family, multifamily, crypto, oil, whatever. Um, you're trying to see if the investment return is going to beat inflation, or even in a case if it doesn't beat inflation, is it going to be one of the best assets to hold the value? Right? That's why precious metal is something that people start talking about now. And um, because perceivably it you know, holds the value of um, value, really, it's not measured by dollar. Um, in comparison, you know, with the dollar value, if it gets inflated, it's just going to worse less. So if you hold a certain hard asset or metal, and the, et cetera, you know, it may have a better chance of um, you know, surviving the, the inflation world.
0: You know, from a macro perspective, too, back to the the look at the just the, the markets as a whole, it's very interesting times, right? The main theme being inflation, obviously, but you've seen a massive destruction of supply. Yeah. Um. You know, all over the place. But in the same case, you've got the central bank starting to tighten now with mm-hmm. inflation and in, a, a I would say, a global marketplace where supply of a lot of stuff has just been I don't know of a but, better word to say. It's been destroyed, essentially, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then especially, you know, we made a video on our channel about China lockdown, which, by the way, nobody cares. <laughs> Apparently, based on our stats, but people should care. They should. Why the chain comes from? Yeah, which could allude to, you know, why does the lockdown matter to people? It's like. Well, if the whole city is locking down, nobody is doing production. So we're already seeing supply chain shortages from a year or two years ago from COVID, right? Because some weird things are happening. Some plants are shutting down. It's not due to economics. It's totally due to regulations and all that stuff. Um, So some of these are kind of coming back, but they're not getting recovered very fast. Um, Example people give is, you know, for a while wood, price has really gone through the roof. And the reason why that is, is because majority of lumber is coming from Canada. So like certain mills in Canada has to shut down due to COVID or no supplies. Uh, So no demands for that. So once you shut down the mill, it doesn't get just started up like that, it takes time. Um, And the other things, uh, you know, like when you're looking at what are the stuff that is coming from China? Like I have a whole list to create it. Pretty much everything. Inside, I was just gonna say everything. <laughs> yeah, everything inside the outside of buildings are coming from China. Um, you know, so I think it will take a minute. If if that supply chain nobody's producing them anymore, then you know I think we haven't seen the worst yet. I think whatever is in inventory right now, you should probably grab them because that's basically there is. And then uh, no ships are leaving the docks, or no production that's coming in. So you know whatever is uh, whatever is here, that's what you have. So we could be looking at an extreme scenario like that. Um, before you know, economy always work itself out, supply demand always work itself out, and people realize okay, we can't import this from China anymore, or we decide not to take a dependency there anymore. Then you have to slar- slowly start manufacture chains. In u.s or other location to supply that um i think china's continued to be you know uh what is happening over the pond is definitely continue something that people should closely watch on because that has a very much a fundamental impact to the whole supply chain over here especially in buildings and real estate investing yeah and then uh we also made a video about like you know the the war in ukraine the sanction on russia with oil prices i think you know, people are saying last couple of months when we invest in oil, it's doing fantastic. And part of that is, again, it's a supply chain issue because Russia has, um, you know, one of the most amount of oil, like they're big supply chain for oil. And then people doesn't know petroleum is actually in every part of your life. Right. Um, in terms of not just the gas at the pump. It's also, you know, it's used as a fuel to produce other materials uh, at the manufacturer level. Um, Also, it is maybe also an element of, for example, roofing is a lot of that material is based off petroleum. So, you know, your roofing material could have just gone up uh, through the sky. Um, now, a few regulations and deregulations could help that, uh, but again, they allowed us to kind of currently reside in policymakers' hands, right? For example, open up our reserve, um, oil reserves uh, in U.S. could potentially ease that tension. But with China, because there's such a diverse of import, um, I think that's something that we should be continuing to worry about.
0: I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high-yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country, and they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the atm space to learn more about their atm funds that produce tax free cash flow visit the com. there's a lot of great points uh, that you're making right here um, covid obviously was was huge on supply chains you cannot mm-hmm. flip just flip a switch and shut off but, the biggest economy but, in the world and the entire world economy and flip back on a switch and everything's gonna work perfect again. And then as you mentioned, the policies and regulations by governments all the world has been uh, quite frankly, just idiotic uh, cause it's made the problem much, much worse. And then, you know, as you mentioned, one of the things I think most people and especially Americans realized during COVID is how many things are being made in China. It is incredible from, I mean, name it, it's made there all the way down to medicine. It's yeah. it's just it's it's just quite astonishing. So I never did. I think the average American think that we are so reliant. They kind of had an idea, but I don't think it was quite it 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 head home all the way right. um, sunk in that right. they were they were so reliant. And now you have the war in the the Ukraine, where I mean, if you think about raw materials, commodities. Food, that little strip in 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 Europe, um, where the Ukraine resides in Russia, I mean all of the 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 commodities and raw materials and the food that 's coming from there i don 't think right. people realize too how much i mean it's essentially the bread basket of Europe, the Ukraine. How much is coming right. out there that's going to affect every single part of the world, right?
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Well, the good news for U.S. people is for Ukraine, the impact isn't as great over here. I'm going to maybe say something controversial here, but, um, you know, which is probably why the there's sanction that's put on there. But honestly, in my opinion, more things should be done. With that whole war, um, but the rest of the leader, you know, because for us uh, we get a lot of commodities from the food, you know, actually from U.S. itself and also Canada and Mexico is a big contributor for the food sources that we have over here. So we haven't really kind of filled that as much of some of our European neighbors, um, but petroleum is definitely one of the single source of pinpoint over there, uh, which something that you know U.S. government and the whole um, you know, the, the North America treaty, like uh, Mexico and Canada, we also have resources over there too, right um, to potentially open up some of the reserves to ease this possible temporally uh, scenario. And then it's not going to be very temporally. It's probably going to be a long- term. So how does that affect our real estate? So when you look at real estate investing, it's really not a great time. You know, uh, when you ask, but it could be also a great time because when there's all these loom and doom things are happening, it is actually you got to look the other way and looking for potential opportunities. So we're actually really glad um, it's no longer a seller's market because now you can actually go in and negotiate uh, pricing points and et cetera. So I would have put bits in our multifamily deals and be surprised that. I was like, no way people is going to take this rate. So how we evaluate changing our evaluation is that we previously have been underwriting deals with bridge loans and this and that. We now are taking a policy to say, we're going to underwrite most of our deals, most of our deals with a fixed rate debt, which right now due to the higher interest rate, you know, the, the amount of money that you can leverage is significantly reduced. It's the leverage that's causing that price drop. Um, so then we'll put it into the price of where we say, OK, we're going to name our price to be here because that's what we came up with was the conservative the fixed rate debt that we came up with over here. And then I was surprised at the amount of callback from my brokers because I'm like, there's no way like prices are, you know, like 10 percent bus cut over here versus 20, like 10 to 20 percent bus cut here. There's no way like, you know, we would get any callback but we get callbacks and then they would say, "Uh, oh, you're actually pretty close to this, right? So, so it's a possible good time if the deal, you got to write it really carefully. But for all you new like folks out there who wants to get into multifamily, maybe a good time to kind of look at it. If you put a fixed rate debt in there, you know, having a lot of cash reserve, the deal still makes sense. So you should probably just buy it. Worst case it is the price will drop. But multifamily, as long as the cash flow, even single family, if it's cash flow asset, then you don't worry about selling it. Um, so you're just going to write it out, the low cycles, even if it drops more, and you're going to get more equities, you know, because over time it's going to rise in, in equity. You're probably just going to be in there for a minute. You should expect, so investor who invest in real estate should be expecting longer period holds, maybe a little bit adjusted return. Right. But keep in mind that adjusted return may still be your best option compared to all the other asset types, you know, where I, you know, I don't do crypto, so I don't know enough of that. Uh, where it could be a f- free falling scenario. I'm going to use stock. Could be a free falling scenario. So over there versus over here, there's a better chance of succeeding or preserving your dollar value. Then you should look at that asset because the goal, goal has changed with investment. It's preservation of values now, right? Um, and then third is like, look at the debt and the lining debt structure. Not all fixed rate debts are great. If you get a floating rate, but you have some rate caps on the or you have a massive amount of cash flow, that combination could have worked. But also in general, like a fixed rate debt is probably better than the floating at this period of time. And also uh, without huge amount of prepayment penalty, um, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's stuff that you should look at as a real estate investor. And if the deal works, works with your conservative in the writing, you should still pull the trigger because that will be a great time, right? So I look back during COVID, the first three months from March, 2020 um, to basically October, there was like a whole six months to a year of inactivity. So the players that continue played in the pond got really great deals and made a lot of money, right? So yep. these are folks who underwrite the deals and look at the risk assessments and decided to pull trigger, continue to do well. Um, in fact, they made a huge amount of money within a short period of two years Um, So you want to be in that bucket, like using Warren Buffett saying, um, you know, when other people are greedy, you should be conservative or something. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, and then so when when, uh, you know, other people are kind of pulling back you should be like, you know, God in the strike. Um, So there's definitely, um, you know, some of that to kind of keep in mind as well.
0: No, that's that's great. And, and when it comes to multifamily too, it ties into operations, right? Because through your operations, you control the value of the asset because it's a business based on cash flow and operations. So operational uh, uh, efficiency and capitalizing on opportunities within operations is huge mm-hmm. where maybe with single family not so much you could do as far as operational uh, wise to enhance the value and increase the value of the property because it's more tied to what the house is valued at right next door, which might not be a rental, right? right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I do think for our viewers, listeners over here that invest in a single family homes, there's a couple of rules to kind of play with. What type of investment you should be investing during the market cycle that's kind of potentially going down? Um, entry level homes are continue great investments because they don't make them anymore when they build uh, for new builders with especially with supply chain uh being so scarce the the building price the new building price is going to go up drastically because it needs to go somewhere um so building and so to make so that margin just become a lot thinner for the builder so then they have to build bigger right so then because you have price points that may be bigger so entry home is going to be even rare and then everybody needs a home when they buy something where do you start you know even me myself included i don't start from mcmansions you know i start from this entry-level homes you know i'd rather buy a couple entry-level homes on the same neighborhood than buying a mcmansion in the neighborhood um, because you can diversify as well so and then that multiple houses like an entry-level homes is going to allow you to charge you know, proportionally higher amount of rent, not higher rents, but proportionally that rent to purchase ratio is going to be slightly better. So because if you're going to, assuming you're going to hold on to this asset for a longer period in that time now, compared to, you know, last year, um, then the cash will really have to make sense. You know, it continues supplies and pays. The mortgage is really important. The great news on single family home is fixed rate debt. So you can have it for 30 years. So that's that's fantastic. Um, as long as that's beating inflation, that's a fantastic rate. It's cheap lending. Um, and I think for multifamily, same thing. You know, the other thing is common is you need to have cash reserve. But things go wrong all the time with single family home, especially single family home. You know, if your water heater goes out, you, you're tenant can't live there you have put them up in the hotel like all of a sudden one month you probably discount their rent for that month as well so all of a sudden that hit is a lot bigger versus multifamily, the more units you have it gets kind of like even it out right if i have a water yeah. heater goes out one of my unit 100, 100 unit building not big deal so you know just like a one vacancy it's a one percent vacancy uh, not really a big deal you can fix that with not scalability. Um, so in multifamily zone, of course, you don't have perfect debt in that zone. You know, you have either floating rate with very little prepayment penalty or fixed rate debt with very high prepayment penalty. So you have to kind of weigh on risk and profit. So again, you have to take a length of, I'm going to hold on to this for a minute now. But you have to adjust your investor expectations with this. Um, And, um, you know, and and then making sure your deals are actually cash flow. I'm not talking about seven, eight percent returns that what you talk to investors about, but more so like cash flow to make sure that you can service your debt. I think that's most important because if you can service your debt, then that that gets pulled, your rug pulls underneath your feet, you know, and also cash reserve. Uh so on some of our deals, we typically, you know, set up a cash reserve about six months to a year which is really hefty um, for if nobody's paying us for that period of time, we can still service the mortgage. Um, so that helps with the cash flow management and all that stuff as well.
0: I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, Producers Wealth. If you're interested to set up your infinite banking policy correctly and have access to a coach that will help you use your infinite banking strategy to grow your business and your investment portfolio, and having your capital work in more than one place simultaneously, and protect your capital from market downturns, taxes, predators, and creditors, you can watch a presentation of exactly how you can do this at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. What are the things are you guys doing with regards to operations right now?
1: Yeah, I think if you're an operator, tighter control is more important. Uh, We're lucky that we have a portfolio to work with. Um, So we can use that to negotiate more control over operation. So, for example, uh, we work in both our location, Texas and Arizona, uh, with two separate PM group. Um, And then we set up a lower PM fee structure with them. And then we include them on the general partner site. So they're kind of running this as an owner because PM fees are typically based off of revenue. Um, So on our, Phoenix property, for example, we do a 1% to 2% uh, property management fee. Um, in the regular deal, they would have charged 3% to 5%, right? So you save that for cash flow. So you make that more secure because it's more cash flow. Um, but instead of we cut them on the general partner side in the back end, which get paid more on the back end. So aligns with the incentives for investor. And typical deals that we have. Sometimes uh, our investor typically get paid before the GP gets paid in the cash flow stack. So this helps uh, to align that incentive for the PMs with us, so they act more like owners. Um, so these are things that we're doing. And of course, um, if we're in such a tight relationship, they are one of the partners. You have a lot more control over their operation. A lot of say versus if they're just third party. And I typically pick a property management company. You know, I think people are people the most important thing. Um, So the person that I work with, my partners, has to be with the same mindset. We should have common goals uh, in terms of what we want to do, right? Um, So in this case, we are definitely seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. um, So that in the future, perhaps we want to merging that operation, even exert even more control over there. Um, so essentially, being vertically integrated, that that is a possibility. So, if you operators, you know, you have to think about different ways to exert your control or having, like, basically, I'm not talking about micromanaging, but have your ability to influence the policies or backend things, the systemization of your property management uh, portfolio. Like at least your portfolio, you should have some rights over there and running a tighter operation. Um, so I, I would just say that's one thing and also building up a supply chain of construction worker, you need to have a couple vendors to work with, you know, and especially during this time, uh, if things are hard, like, I don't know, MC, like, who do you remember the best? Like one of your best partners, like, I don't know, like what part makes you remember him the best, right? Is the people who helped you out during the hardest time. I yep. think if we're going into hardest time, you're secure, Uh, their pipeline, of work, you know, making sure you pay your vendors on time and building a great relationship over there. It's going to help you with getting prioritized on their stack. Um, So I always tell my employees being the biggest to check on uh, your, your, your partner's book is a really great thing. And we strive to be that because that's also scalability in terms of doing business, right? So then you are higher priority versus, um, some other clients that they have doesn't always work out right Uh, the the cases that doesn't work out is oftentimes is the owner and you perhaps didn't see the missions eye to eye so you know that could lead to a whole bunch of accountabilities and that type of stuff so uh, but when it does work out uh, it works out beautifully because you have higher priority you get material um, because also it's a real re- reputation. You always use them. You're not backing up your contracts. Any of that stuff, it's a security at work. Yeah.
0: So uh, the big thing here too, is we talked about a macro picture and we explain all the dangers that's going on. Inflation is going to be a core theme, continue to be a core theme, but there's a ton of opportunity if you, number one, wish to see it. And then number two, mitigate the then this environment from a finding the deals, uh, instant. And also then from an operational side, because that's where, of course, the money, the money is made, right? Uh, the delivery but, and the follow through of the, the, the product for investors and for, uh, the tenants that rent from you.
1: Mm-hmm. I think increasing communications, um, definitely building the relationship hard times is really a great time to build solid relationships, you know, a couple of my top brokers in my market, uh, one of the guy, especially I remember him, knows everybody in town. Um, but one of the reasons is that a lot of people have a common story because during their hard time, this person helped them, you know, help them with their business helped help them with client referrals and all that sort of stuff. So that's how he built up that reputation around the whole town. So, so these are things like right now, it's not just about investing, but it's time to kind of reach out. To relationships, to investors, you know, including vendors, investors, partners to make sure that you are reassuring them, showing them possibly sometimes your struggle that is going through and pulling them in and creating that transparency. I think that's that's also really important uh, piece when you're investing or when you're being an operator uh, running a running a project like that.
0: And you continue to educate and inspire through your educational platform and your communities during this time to write and share everything. That's what I love about what you're doing right there is just sharing everything that you're involved with and, and, and what what you're what you guys are doing
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think it's also a great time if you don't know what to investing in it's definitely a great time to invest in educations right so mc i know you have an education platform we're launching some courses over here as well uh to help people to learn how to invest in uh with with a little bit more education because passive investor obviously uh the journey is typically like oh i know so and so i heard about them some investing, right? It's so a very blind sources. And then the marketing today in today's world, previously you got TV that does infomercials does really well. But now it's like so many social medias and et cetera. So making vetting operations is very hard. So how do you actually make sure that you're investing with the right people, invest in the right deal? I think that's very fundamental. So we're launching some courses around how to passively invest. Um, But now it's a really great time. If you're not sure what to invest in, it's a great time to kind of Take a minute to educate yourself. Previously, I always say, don't procrastinate. You know, don't get into the analysis paralysis. When you're investing, you just got to do something. You may make a mistake, but your dollar, the dollar that you lost on making that mistake is going to pay you back tenfold if you start with something small, right? Don't don't try like the biggest project ever. Um, So, you know, that's important. But now it's also a good time to spend some money learning some stuff and with education because the market may be volatile, you may be someone who's like, well, I, I, I wanna sit on the sideline and then let this play out. You know, Honestly, I think in six months or time, uh, the market's gonna play itself out because the capital stack is gonna figure out how to make money either way. And so there's gonna be a little bit more stabilization. Stabilization is good. Now, why right now it's a such an interesting time is because the volatility is of changing of the rates so rapidly. So nobody knows what the future entails, right? But if you talk to all the macroeconomics, if you look at Chatham's like rate, rate caps, there is some prediction where it's going to settle to, right? So, so that's kind of like things to kind of look at. If you're not super comfortable, now it's a time to take that time to educate yourself and then get into the investing. So then you can invest in confidently, you can judge by your own self.
0: Absolutely. Um, and you're always learning. And that's one of the habits I've observed from very wealthy and successful people. They're always studying, they're learning. What are you currently studying and learning?
1: Um, I'm currently studying and learning about how to build a business more efficiently. So a lot of coaching, what I did before, you know, obviously I mentioned before I was in a mentor group, learning about syndication, et cetera. I think it's really important not learning just for learning purposes. You have to set up a goal first. But once you decide what your goals are, then you look at okay, what are the piece of the tools that I needed in my tool belt to get there? And that's where the coaching education comes in, right? So if you wanted to passive invest, it's like yeah, you absolutely should probably take some courses about how to passive invest, understanding how to evaluate a deal, right? That's the basic understanding how to evaluate syndicators. If you're really good intuitively reading people then that's good. You're in a good place, but not all of us are really good at reading people So you know, learn how to interview your syndicators. Um, so for me, um, you know, I'm learning about business building because right now, syndication, multifamily is kind of bread and butter. We live and breathe it all the time. We no longer need a mentoring for that. Um, but we're kind of learning how to build a business to the next level. Um, you know, there's a lot to learn from that because being a small business, still a small business, there's next level of people who's doing the next level things. And then you got like, you know, have mentors that teach you doing that. Um, and also uh, as entrepreneurs, you only have limited hours. So time management is part of that, you know, strategic. Um, so I'm part of strategic coaching to like having learning from business side of things. So a lot of um, training right now I'm doing this, business related, how to build a team, uh, et cetera.
0: Absolutely great. And one, we talk about a lot of stuff here. Obviously, cash flow is a big topic, but we also talk yes. about legacy principles and values and so forth. So if you cannot pass on money to future generations and you are only allowed to pass three principles to them to achieve happiness and success, uh, what would they be?
1: Oh, uh, that comes uh, from the left here for me. Um, I would say definitely get started is one of the principles I would give it to them. Like basically um, do things quickly and fail quickly. So try fast, fail fast. I think that's one principle I would have. Um, the other is a delay gratification. I think oftentimes that comes in, you know, once you make money, you can enjoy some. But delay gratification is a big thing in terms of during the period time of growth uh, yep. when you're building up for your future. Um, the third is probably education, like investing in yourself in terms of educations and health habits. You know, like um, mindset specifically, being healthy on the mindset. Um, just just that's kind of really important. And there's a whole bunch. I, I just kind of cheated a little bit because in there you can have tons of mindset stuff you can work on, right? Um, and then being satisfied with that. You, you mentioned about happiness. I think being satisfied about your achievement is a big one. Celebrating the small wings and reminding yourself, you know, the meaning of life is, is a big, huge thing. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you don't have the healthiness, of your mindset, everything else, it doesn't really matter. Uh, You know, you, you won't reach the happiness. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Where can folks follow you? Where can they learn more about you and where can they stay in touch with you to see all of the many uh, incredible projects that you're involved with?
1: Yeah, so our website really have all our content over there. It also have the pre-signup uh, for our courses and et cetera. So that's uh, EZFI University. So university gets spelled out, uh, EZFIuniversity.com. Uh, we constantly publish blogs every week. Uh, so um, teaching about mindsets, investment principles, macroeconomics, and also especially multifamily investing. Um, and people can also find us on YouTube channel at Elisa Zen. If you just search for Elisa Zen, um, you'll see my face on the thing. And then so that's our channel. Um, and so these are two areas that we really would love you to kind of visit. Um and we are on Instagram. You can reach out to us on LinkedIn if you just search for Elisa Zen, you know, uh to set up a time to kind of chat with us and whatnot.
0: Perfect. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for all of my listeners and viewers. Thank you so much for your time, MC. And thank you to you, the listener and the viewer, for spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me on the show. Uh, you could check out everything Cashflow Ninja at CashflowNinja.com. Over 850 episodes, tools, resources, programs, and books. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. You can do so at CashflowNinja.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, we will share everything that you need to know what's going on at Cashflow Ninja. And I personally write those emails on a weekly basis and deliver them like little golden nuggets straight into your email inbox. Until next time, love infinitely.